I'd like to extend my welcome too. My name's Matt. I work with the Christian Union. I thought I'd just introduce our speaker for the next three days. Um, your name is Ed, uh, but presumably most of us don't know anything else about you other than the fact that you're Ed. Do you want to kind of just give us some of the vile statistics, tell us about your family, kind of your location in life and, and yeah, that sort of thing? Sure, thank you. I grew up just south of London, that's why I don't have an accent, and I uh, studied at university in the UK, worked for a ridiculously posh school uh, near Oxford, then came here just for a year and a half to have some fun and stayed, had all my kids at King Eddie's and my wife, uh, Sally, and uh, then we moved back to England for five years, then we moved back three years ago to help run a Christian organisation, a non-profit that runs school camps and holiday camps so kids can come to know Jesus. That's what we do, it's great fun. Great. So you've basically been a ping pong ball across the hemispheres and across yep. the sides of, of the world. Well, why is it that you are doing what you're doing currently? So you work for an organisation called Crew West, works with, just is it high schools at primary school students as well as the yep. whole shebang? Yep. Um, yeah, and so that, that's an interesting space to be in, uh, but you're not a teacher, so, so what's going on there? No, I think, you know, not to 18 is such a formative time, isn't it? Uh, that uh, being able to speak into that time of life uh, it's so important, I think, with the hope and the wonderful love and message of, of Jesus, whether you believe that or not, whether you're, you know, you're not sure if you're a Christian, sure you're not a Christian, or sure you are a Christian, whatever you've done 0 to 18 has impacted who you are now. So we want to speak into that with the love and hope that comes through Jesus uh, while people are at school. We know exactly where they are, uh, uh, age kind of 4 to 18, and so uh, that's what we do. Great. And so my next question is going to be, we're talking about the topic of belonging uh, this week. Uh, as part of um, our, our just attempt to kind of share Jesus with the, the university campus. Um, what qualifies you to speak on this particular topic? Were you like, you know, kind of abandoned as a child or, or did you have like, did you struggle like socially or something growing up? Did you just kind of speak to that maybe? We ask the serious questions here at the CU. Uh, uh, in terms of my own authority, no, I'm very much kind of a, I, I, I'm a wiener in a steakhouse kind of guy. I'm not particularly smart. Um, I've got two brain cells and they're both fighting for third place. Um, uh, but in terms of this belonging thing, I, get, I mean the social thing was real. My older brother got kicked out of school and it was a small enough school that everyone knew who that was and expulsions weren't often. Uh, and so you know, across the quad um, at, uh, at school people would shout out at me and, and uh, I had a big stammer from age kind of 13 to 15. And initially it was belonging to a sports team that fixed that. Uh, but as that faded away while I was at university, it turned out I wasn't quite as good as I thought I was at sport. Uh, it, was, it was the death of my father that introduced me back to the person of Jesus. And as I lost that very, that anchor of belonging, who are your parents, as that started to fade away, the anchor of a father in heaven was the one that really did begin to make me belong. Uh, and, um, and so that kind of belonging to him, and therefore, as Max was just saying, to the church has been a transformational uh, bit of my life, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. So my last question I'm going to leave and then leave you to kind of segue into your talk too is you're, this is the first of three talks you're going to be bringing to us. One today, one tomorrow at Murdoch Lecture Theatre and then one on Thursday, 1pm at Tattersall Lecture Theatre. Um, what, what, what can we expect um, if we want to keep coming along or invite our friends to come along or yeah, just trying to suss that one out and then we'll leave you to it? Yeah, when, when you go visit the Crown Jewels, uh, I had a chance to do that once. I knew this uh, uh, particularly posh guy who's marrying a girl whose dad was general of the regiment that, that is based at the, uh, the Tower of London. So we got to go to his wedding, which is unreal. It was the first wedding I'd ever been to where the invitation came in a scroll uh, and uh, we had to wear tails. It was great fun walking past all the Japanese tourists straight into the Tower of London uh, without having to show a ticket. And we got to see the crown jewels, but they don't just show it from one side. You get to walk right around them so you can see it from every angle. So that's the hope, is that the crown jewel of Jesus 
Again, whether you just think that's a swear word or whether that's someone you hold very dear to you, the crown jewel of Jesus, we hope to get to see it from, from several angles. Uh, and so while, yes, it will be the same topic and uh, issue every day, which is what do you make of him? Uh, it's going to be seen from a slightly different angle as he walks off the pages of Matthew's Gospel, which is what we'll look at now. Is that all right? Uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll get into that little passage we just had read to us, uh, chapter 11 of Matthew's Gospel. Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Matthew's the first one. Uh, it's first because the other three are after it. Uh, and Matthew comes to this, with this lovely little story uh, that made me think about what I studied at university. When I was at university uh, in, in, the, in the UK at Exeter University, uh, I studied psychology. I wanted to do the third year first and the first year last so I could get a degree in reverse psychology, but they wouldn't let me do that. Uh, and so I ended up uh, getting just an ordinary degree in psychology. And one of the great things about psychology is that before like, the 80s, uh, there were no real ethics rules. And so all the good experiments happened in the 60s and 70s. And one of the ones they did was on monkeys. Uh, they noted that in the Amazon rainforest, um, the Amazonian tribes, a couple of them, would, would put a banana in a cage uh, and uh, they'd set that banana out with just enough room through one of the doors uh, that, um, uh, in, in the cage, in one of the walls, just enough of a gap that a monkey could put its hand through the cage, and the cage was kind of tied down, but by the time it's grabbed the banana, the monkey can no longer escape. That's one of the experiments that these guys observed that the Amazonian tribes of people were doing. Now, of course, the, Am the Amazonian guys would come down, they'd set it overnight, come down in the morning, you got monkey for breakfast. Uh, and that's what they would, uh, how they capture their thing. It's no fuss, no mess, great way to kill stuff. Uh, just leave it ca uh, caught. And the monkey never quite had the intelligence to let go of the banana and be free. So psychologists, always thinking the weirdest uh, thing that they can do with stuff, thought to themselves, could we use this to test the intelligence of, of monkeys? And so they got a whole, whole bunch of bananas, and they laid it out over here. And they got the monkey in before they could see the bunch. And the monkey would come in and they'd see the banana, put their hand in the cage, and then a screen would go up, and then they could see the bunch over there. And they're trying to work out, would monkeys of various... Uh, Varieties, the orange ones, the big ones, the little ones. <laughs> would a monkey ever let go and go for the bunch over there? And not one monkey would ever do that. No ape had uh, uh, moved on uh, into that kind of level. Then, of course, psychologists thought to themselves, it was the 60s, there's no ethics stuff. They thought, let's do this on babies. Let's see how they go. So, they, they would let a baby get excited about something in a cage. I don't think it was bananas, because they weren't that exciting for them at that stage. Uh, and I didn't particularly listen to the lecture, but uh, there was something in a cage that the baby had and a similar situation, and they tried it at you know, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, uh, 18 months, etc., to see at what stage does a baby let go of the banana and go for the bunch, as it were. And it was really interesting uh, uh, what they found out, but I've totally forgotten because that was 20 years ago. But that's always stuck with me, that idea here of... Will you let go of one to go for the, for the loads over there? And that is the invitation this lunchtime of Jesus. He wants us to invite us to let go of one piece of fruit and be free. That's what he's inviting us to here today. To let go of one piece of fruit in a cage and be free to enjoy a feast. We're looking at this, uh, this little passage here. The big number 11 is the chapter, just to help us find our way through the book. And the little numbers are the sentences. So it's sentence number 28, really, is the only sentence we'll be looking at there. Come to me. Let's have a look at that again. Open it up if you've, uh, if you've closed it. Give it to a friend if they've lost it. Verse 28. 
Sentence 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We're just going to look at that one sentence bit by bit. It starts with one simple word, the word come. Come. Uh, we all have to pay taxes for stuff. I say all. I'm, the grown-ups in the room have to pay taxes for stuff. Uh, but you don't mind as a grown-up because it pays for roads and hospitals and things like that. Uh, but we pay tax, but that does mean that we have rights. We have rights to say how the money is spent. If we don't like it, we can vote the politicians out. Uh, because we bring something to the table with our tax money, we have a say about the whole thing is run. Lots of people, though, approach Jesus in the exact same way. They figure they have something to offer. And so they have rights. They come with their kind of their goodies. Hey, look, I, I go to your club on Sundays. I even sing some of your favorite songs and I read your very long, boring book. And they think, because I do those things for you, I bring some tax to the table. Therefore, Jesus, I have rights about what you can say about my life. And that means I can vote you out, Jesus, if I don't like what you have to say about one area of my life or not. But Jesus doesn't allow that sort of thinking. Have a look at the first sentence in just our little passage there, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said this, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. It's almost like Jesus is doing that annoying thing people do where they do the kind of rabbit ears when he says wise and learned. Wise and learned. Because the people Jesus is speaking to think that they know best. They think they bring something to the table, that they have rights. That they can pick and choose, like a taxpayer, which parts of Jesus they like. But Jesus is clear. Those kind of wise and learned taxpayer type people have the truth of God hidden from them. You see that on, online today, if you watch a YouTube clip, uh, particularly in America, where someone will make an argument about something to do with politics, and on both sides of the political aisle, they will invoke the name of Jesus to add some backing to their point. And then when someone actually points out to them, normally in like a one second, in, in, in a one minute kind of YouTube short or TikTok, someone says, actually, that's not quite what Jesus said. They instantly cover their ears like a toddler and say, la, 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 la. They're so wise and learned about how Jesus backs up their particular political viewpoint, but they don't actually listen to Jesus, and so they'll never know Jesus. Instead, who is it that knows Jesus? It will be the little children, the humble, the lowly, the insignificant little child uh, who will know God, who has it revealed to them. And so if you are visiting uh, this lunchtime and plan to for the next few days, it is brilliant that you're here. It is wonderful that you have an open enough mind to come, uh, a humble, lowly, insignificant enough opinion of yourself to say, do you know what, actually I can learn a little bit more about something other than myself. Because if we don't, we'll never ever drop the food in the cage. We'll always think to ourselves, actually what I've got, what I know, is everything and the best. Instead, a little child, at whatever age of development was said in that lecture that I've forgotten years ago, will drop it. And that's who we are to be like today. Let's look back at sentence number 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So the first word is come. The second word is, the words are to me. Come to me. Jesus says we come humbly. That is not haughty and high, but low and on the ground. We come to Jesus. The invitation of the Christian faith is not to church or to the Christian union here on campus. The invitation is not to stick to a moral code like some school rules. 
Jesus does not invite us to a new spiritual path of prayer and meditation. We are invited to come to Jesus. Christianity is about a person, Jesus. He claimed to be God's son, a human like us, and live like no one else. He then died in our place, uh, rose to live a new life. He then is made king, Messiah, or Christ, depending on what language you want to use, Messiah or Christ, king of the whole world. Jesus is the Christ. The Christ is what Christianity is all about. Otherwise, it would just be called eanity, and that's not a word. So, we come to him, he says, come to me. Come to Jesus, nothing and no one else. He is the centre, the high point, the pinnacle of all that this book, the Bible, is about. And so if we want to reject Christianity, this thing that perhaps your friend has invited you along to today, perhaps bribing you, saying I'll buy you lunch before or after, I'll do whatever you want me to, please just come and hear about this Jesus guy. If you've come and want to say no, what you're rejecting in rejecting Christianity is Jesus. That's actually the deal. Because if you want to go your own way, you'll have to pass by Jesus on that own way. Because he is what we're talking about. You may have other questions and doubts about uh, the Bible and what it says. For sure, it does uh, sit contrary to much of our culture at the moment. We love to sit with you and talk through those objections and doubts and questions. But in the end, you have to decide. Do I want to come to Jesus? That's the question. That's the invitation. Because this is what he says in verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. Jesus says only God the Father is known by God uh, the Son. Only they really know each other. Uh, A friend of mine died the other day. Uh, A guy my age. And it was a, a sad but strangely lovely funeral. And the strangely loveliest bit of it was as his three uh, young boys spoke about what he was like as a dad at home. And it was uh, hearing stories of who Mike was in the, uh, when he was off guard at times when no one else knew him, that his sons could see. And hearing those lovely stories that, of course, through the, uh, the grief of a young child, are more amazing than they would be uh, in reality, Of course, but it was lovely to hear how well these sons knew their father. That's true, isn't it? We know our parents well. And so God the Father is known most of all by God the Son, who made the world, who knows you and me, who gives the world purpose and a point and beauty. To know him, to know that God, we have to know Jesus because he knows him. To know him, the God that made the world, we have to come to Jesus. Because only Jesus really knows God the Father. That's what he's saying in verse 27. Because only Jesus is God's son. And so Jesus invites us to come and to come to him. Let's look back at the verse and see what else it says. Uh, Sentence number 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. This invitation is for those who are weary and burdened. Uh, Jesus is talking then, 2,000 years ago, to a people burdened down by the religious expectation of a a, a group of people called the Pharisees, uh, uh, who Jesus is talking about in a little bit just before this. And uh, these guys were saying, you've got to do a lot of religious duties for God to be remotely impressed with you. Uh, Not just the 300 or so rules that God had written down, but 600 extras 
that were designed uh, just by these humans for other humans to obey. Uh, that meant that the people had no rest from the constant grind of having to keep up appearances, to look as good as everyone else, to, to do all the little religious bits and bobs that everyone has to do. It was like Christmas decorating every single day of your life, that constantly having to make everything a little bit better. They, the, other, the house down the street got, has got fairy lights up, we've got to put fairy lights up. Oh, they've got a Santa in their yard, we've got to put a Santa in our yard. That kind of religious uh, one-upmanship. They were weary and burdened, these people, from the endless task of thinking they had to impress God. We are in a different situation now to then. We no longer have a kind of religious overclass uh, that is imposing their views on us, making us obey God's law. Nevertheless, we are weary and burdened. Weary and burdened in so many ways. That is similar to the kind of vibe that these guys would have had. Uh, weary and burdened we may be even now. Weary and burdened about even the thought, I know we've just had exams, but they're coming up again. The relentless, endless, uh, weary and burdensomeness of exams. I do love it when a university student says to me, oh, I've got assignments at the moment. You're kidding me. At a university of learning, they're testing how much you've... This is unbelievable. It's like when a teacher's like, oh, I've got reports at the moment. What? They make you write reports on the children that you're... Oh, this is outrageous. But there are exams, and they are exhausting, aren't they? We may feel weary and burdened by them. Uh, we may begin to feel uh, weary and burdened by the expectations of friends and parents. Uh, maybe just burdened by our own, uh, our own expectations and our inability and inadequacy to meet them. That we have a standard, and I don't meet it every single day of my life. That every morning I look in the mirror and say, you're going to be great today. And every morning at night as you brush your teeth, you think, well, that was disappointing. Uh, maybe feel weary and burdened by, uh, by the constant drive to be popular, to impress the people around us, to avoid any sort of social disaster which comes so quickly and so easily in this day and age. Maybe we too feel oppressed under the burden of feeling we have to impress God. Maybe something that's been drilled into you from a young age is that you need to be so good on the outside to go to church, to go to mosque, to go to synagogue, to temple, to perform some sort of religious duty on a regular basis that God might feign to look at you. Maybe we feel burdened by the uh, feeling of guilt on our own actions and thoughts and words and deeds. Uh, that we feel so rotten on the inside that we'd never dare share that with, with anyone. And in fact, we know what other people are like. And that I don't want you sharing with me your most rotten insides because I know that's not great either. It's what the Bible calls sin. Maybe that is burdening us down. It's a weight on our shoulders. It's a big one. Maybe it's the uh, constant weariness of wondering whether we can be loved, whether we're lovable enough for anyone to actually kind of be tricked into loving us one day. Maybe we feel burdened uh, by death. The knowledge that one day this will all come to an end and that while we live in a bubble of youth and exuberance at university, we aren't unaware of the fact that there is a cemetery within just a couple of k of here. And there's land to spare, because it's only getting fuller, and it'll one day be us. Maybe death is burdening you down. And Jesus says, if you're burdened, weary, come to him. Come to him. 
You see, we don't need to clean up our act and then come to Jesus. It's not like going to go visit your grandparents when you're a kid. I still remember standing on the front doorstep. And before we were allowed to ring the doorbell, there was the four of us lined up. And my parents just going up one by one. It was like a car wash system going up and down the four kids, doing their, doing their hair. And then you've got something on your face and tying the shoelaces and all sorts of things. That's not it. You don't have to stand on the doorstep of Jesus and be cleaned up before you come to him. No. There's none of that with Jesus. You come to him, not if you're good enough, but when you realize you're tired and weary and burdened. Verse 28 again. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In the face of all this burden, Jesus promises rest. Jesus is inviting us to rest, not to work. And he gives us this rest through what he did on the cross, defeating our sin, defeating death, showing us that we are loved. And he takes all this burden on himself. And this rest that he promises is not just a good night's sleep. It's not a quick break. It's not a, a weekend in Margaret River. It's much deeper than that. Verse 29. Have a look at sentence 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So Jesus is inviting us to take rest for the deepest part of our very selves, our souls. And this rest comes with a new set of responsibilities. It describes being burdened and weary as like being a yoke. It's a slightly foreign concept to us, but it's the sort of weird thing that's on an old barn at a farming museum uh, when it's a rainy day and your parents can't take you to the beach and they take you somewhere boring instead. Uh, there were huge wooden crossbeams that would go over a couple of horses or a couple of cattle as they would drive uh, the plough through the ground. It's how two animals were linked together, such that where one goes, the other goes. They shared a yoke. One would obey the other animal, normally the older, more mature one, so that they would know what to do. And when you share that yoke, the load gets lightened. And so to get rest from Jesus, you now share a yoke with Jesus. You are joined to him. Wherever he goes, you go. We obey him no matter what he says. To get rest from Jesus, you're joined to him and learn from what he says. Now, all of a sudden, this invitation that sounded pretty sweet, oh, look, all my burdens go away and life's magical with Jesus, doesn't sound quite so attractive. The rest bit is great, but the yoke bit doesn't sound quite so special. But remember, either you take Jesus' yoke or you stay under the yoke of all of this. There's no yoke-free existence. It's not that Jesus has a yoke and nothing else does, but that everything is some sort of yoke. Everything has some sort of responsibility. The question is, which yoke do you think is going to be kinder to you? Which master would you rather work for for the rest of your life? You see, popularity is not a kind master. It's not an easy yoke to bear. One slip up and you're at the bottom of the social pile again. Friends move on and all that hard work is wasted. Experiences like gap years and travelling are as tiring as working. You never really feel at home anywhere. And as one memory phased, uh, fades, you are forced to make newer, fresher ones, and that's a drain on you. Trust me, I've done enough of it. It's not easy being yoked with money. It will make you work and work and work, and in the end, it won't be any help when you die. Money, popularity, experiences, they are not kind masters. Their yoke is heavy. But Jesus, he promises to be gentle 
and humble in heart. And we see the, the cross. He, he, he definitely loves us because he definitely loved us. He does not make you work and work and work, but in his death he works for us so we can now rest. We can rest because our eternal home, in a place he calls eternal life, paradise, can be secure. We can now be at home now. Following Jesus does have a burden. He does have a yoke to carry with him. We will have to let go of that one precious banana. Following him is not easy, but we can either hold on to the one in the cage, never really be able to eat it, never really satisfied, or we can let go and come to him. In fact, he says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Verse 28 again. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so the question is, do you trust him? <laughs> do you trust the guy talking? Not this one, but the one 2,000 years ago. Do you trust him? Because it's easy to be deceived. Another psychology lecture I had, I don't remember about two, so don't be impressed. It's not like your degree will actually stick with you in 20 years' time. But uh, he did a little experiment with us, and it went something like this, if I can remember it correctly, to try and see whether or not uh, there's a thing like a, a, an authority structure. You tend to trust the person up front uh, because they're talking the most and the loudest. So let's just try this. Okay, everyone arms out. You're actually doing this now. Okay, this isn't some boring English lecture. We're actually going to have fun. Okay, so arms out. I need to do one big clap. Like that. Okay, one more. Now try and flip your hands around and do it back to front and then clap. Now keep, now keep that there, okay? Now make a kind of upside down gun. Yep, and so you've got to point it. You've got to have just one finger though facing forward on the gun. Okay, and then thumbs hard down, thumbs down. Yep, yep, yep. We're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it. Okay, now the point of this test was to say that it's easy when someone's up front to trust them because it's easy to be deceived. It's hard to trust people. And just because I've stood up here and said a few things here and there, doesn't mean I can be trusted, because I'm the only one who can do this. Now, what the point of that was, it is easy to trick people. So the question is, will you trust this guy? Is he just trying to trick us? Is he just trying to get our tax money from us so that he can have political power? What is he trying to do? What's his game here? Or the question can be, do you trust Jesus? At least do you trust him more than this? There may still be questions and doubts, problems with it. But can you trust him more than this? Who do you trust more? Is it possible you're being deceived? Deceived by the one banana in the cage? Deceived into a, uh, yoked into a lifetime of the desire for popularity? Do you trust being burdened forever by a never-satisfied desire for money? Do you really want to give your life into the hands of enjoyment? Is pleasure all there is that you want for your life? That it might leave you and deceive you and into an empty grave? It is very easy to be deceived. So will you trust Jesus instead? Jesus is saying here, we can only have one master. Only one thing can rule us. Only one thing can we be yoked to. We cannot have the nana in the cage and be free. We were quite uh, tight uh, with our kids growing up. We never really wanted to give our kids to me toys and spoil them. So we, we got lots of toys donated to us and kind of spoiled them in that way. Uh, I don't think they quite understood the fiscal uh, advantage of getting these toys for free from buy nothing and things like that. But they had so many toys, but some of them kind of mis uh, mismatched. 
So my oldest daughter uh, used to have this kind of weird castle that was glued together four different kinds. It's very confusing, kind of half Lego, half Barbie, half something else entirely different. Uh, but in it, she had a bunch of kind of uh, different horses and cows and things like that. It's a palace farmyard kind of vibe. And in it, but we only had two kings and no princesses or queens. And she was adamant. She said, Daddy, you cannot have two kings. There can only be one. And instantly I thought in that moment, that would make a great illustration for a talk one day. Uh, <laughs> because exactly what Jesus is saying here, you can only have one king. The choice is clear. Either you'll be king. You will rule, deciding what is right, burdened by all of this, holding on to the one banana, not free. Yeah, Jesus may be a side project. He may be someone interesting that offers a bit of wisdom here or there. Someone to consult on big decisions, maybe in that panic situation where you pray that prayer that everyone seems to pray, Lord, help me now to remember things I have not learned and answer this exam in ways that I do not deserve. But really, you're still king. You'll live your life. And death, like a monkey who has a piece of fruit in a cage, who almost has it, but you just won't let go because, well, that's going to take some humility to do that, to admit you don't know best. Even though you want more. But Jesus burdens, uh, warns that you will be burdened and weary. You will carry a yoke. There will be no rest from yourself now or when you die. And a place where there's no rest, it's hell, isn't it? That's exactly what the Bible calls it. Hell. That is one choice, to choose to carry the burden yourself, weary and burdened, and to do that choice, you just have to do nothing. Stay exactly as you are, that's absolutely fine. All the invitation is here today. Come to Jesus. Jesus will be king over your life. He will rule and decide what is right. You no longer are a taxpayer. You bring nothing. You just let go and you come with absolutely nothing. He is God after all. Like my daughter's castle, you cannot have two kings. Either Jesus is or we are. We cannot pick and choose. You have to drop the food you have in your hand, which will be hard because we've become attached to that food. It feels like if we let go, we may starve. We're used to doing things our own way, used to doing what we want. But if we let go, we'll be free. Free to belong. Free to belong, where there's enough food for all. Notice again our one verse. Let's look at it one last time. Come to me, who? Come to me, all. Come to me, all. Everyone is welcome to belong. And while the small bunch of bananas is not a great illustration at this moment, there's enough food for everyone in Jesus. Yes, you will share his yoke, but he promises it will be easy. And light. And that he is like any other master in the world. He is gentle and humble. So, will you accept the invitation to come to Jesus this lunchtime, to come to King Jesus and exchange your burden for his? Will you, as it were, stop being a monkey, stop being a baby, be free? Be gentle, humble of heart. That's what Jesus is. And he promises to give rest for your soul. It's been a treat to be with you this lunchtime. I hope to see you in the next couple as well. Thank you.